Welcome to the bonus episode of the Champagne Comedy Podcast, where we talk about the best Australian comedy show from the 90s ever made, in this case, Frontline and other degeneration comedy tidbits. My name is Matt, and joining this bonus podcast today is Alison, Daniel, and Kim. And what do we mean about the bonus episode? Well, we managed to track down a, a particular cast member from Frontline, which we've been reviewing, and that is one of the most funniest, entertaining people who's actually a very talented musician and uh, theatre actor as well. Uh, he has a rich history of performing and goes way back, but he also plays one of the most funniest characters and uh, I think underrated, completely underrated character in mm. Frontline, and that is the Friday Night Funny Man, Elliot Rhodes. You might know him from these performances... Malcolm Turnbull, he sure got pull. He'll change our flag and call the Queen of Let's all sing Mandela. He's such a lucky fella. Compared to the clerky Suella. So let's kick them in the rear and say goodbye, North Korea. Goodbye, North Korea. Cha cha cha. <laughs> Our Friday night funny man is a national treasure. He's shit out. So while his name is Elliot Rhodes, his real name is Boris Conley. So I just want to say thank you for joining the Champagne Comedy Podcast for this very special bonus episode, Boris Conley. Yay! Yay! Yeah, the Friday Yay! night funny man himself. Yes. Oh, thank you, thank you. Well, or at least he played one on TV. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. A lot of the spotlight for season one is on you for this. How did you become part of the show? I was at a party. My partner has a friend who had worked with the DGEN as a producer, that is, assistant producer. I was at this party and, as I do, I was clowning around a bit on the piano and singing silly songs and doing impressions of, I don't know, all and sundry, whatever, I don't know, I was probably drunk. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> And anyway, the producer was there and she's a friend and she said on the quiet working dog, they weren't working dog then, but anyway, the DGN people were making a new show and uh, they were looking for someone who could play piano and sing. I said, oh yeah, I'd be interested. So the next part of the process was that, because usually when those things are talked about, often in social occasions, nothing ever eventuates. You know, people say we're doing a show and then three years later you go, oh, well, nothing actually happened there. But this one, there was definitely a follow-up phone call that said, can you be at a, for an um, interview or audition, um, you know, in a couple of weeks? So I said, okay, sure. So I turned up thinking, because usual cattle call for auditions is, you know, there's 50, you know, in my case, 50 other bald-headed <laughs> blokes <laughs> with, with piano skills. <laughs> They're all 50, 50 are the potential Elliots. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all the potential Elliots. You said they were all feeling like goops. And uh, anyway, I was the only candidate and there was no audition. They, in fact, they just said, here's the keyboard. Is it okay? Will that work? And I played it. It was a little little Yamaha keyboard. I said, sure, that'll be fine. And I said, okay. And then they sent me, a, uh, a, okay, this is, uh, yeah, they sent me a um, 
schedule, told me when to turn up and do it. And um, prior to that, we had to do write that actual song that I was doing on the day. And uh, so that's how it happened. And did you write the songs that you performed? Yes, I wrote the music and they wrote the lyrics. Right. So, so the way it worked was that they would write the lyrics um, and send them. This is the day of, days of faxes, my friends. Think of that, even before emails. <laughs> Vale faxes. Yeah, so my wife was working in a, you know, a legit job, so she had a fax machine. So they would the, the lyrics would get faxed to my wife. She'd bring them home from work that night. I would knock up a tune or and get them sort of happening. And then we would have a very short production meeting where I, by phone, I'd ring them up and I'd sing them the song. And they'd give me feedback whether they liked it or they liked it but they wanted something changed or they didn't like it and they wanted it to be completely different and they'd make some suggestions. Um, but whatever, I was all cool and that's how we did it. And then do you want to hear more yeah. about what happened? Yeah, please continue. <laughs> yeah, please. that's good. Yeah, because the next part of the process was that they would send me a script but it was only ever the little page of script that I was involved in. So I never knew the, the scenario of the whole episode. Oh. And so, yeah, so it was, for me, it was a bit like, you know, that game where you draw the head of a, some, a creature and then you pass it to the next person and they they <laughs> do the, the, the torso and then someone else does the legs, you know. It was a bit like that for me. I was just given the little bit that I was involved so when, in. So when, uh, when did you find out the whole context of what your performance was uh, involved with? When it went was to it, air. When it went to air, that was the first time. Yeah, that was the first time. Wow. So, yeah. Just, and, yeah, through, throughout the series, you're sort of, you're a little bit of a punching bag to the rest of the frontline team. Yeah. Really, you're not, you're, not, you're not that well appreciated throughout, unfortunately. Well, the whole running gag was that Mike Moore wanted to sack Elliot, hated Elliot Rhodes, wanted to sack him all, all the time. But the whole, for the whole three series... He was never successful. <laughs> that was the great ongoing joke about it. So in terms of the lyrics that you were given, was there a lot on the cutting room floor? Is there like extended versions that never made it to air that, that might see the light one day? Well, here's the thing. They had, or this is, the rumour has it that they only ever spent two minutes as a group on the Alert mm. Roads lyrics. And quite frankly, there are some of them that are brilliant and all of them are good, you know, very, um, very witty and clever. They just have a brilliant way with words. And I think because maybe if they were, they were just that little sort of throwaway attitude to it, it had a sort of lightness and, I don't know, the skill was in it without it being heavy and sort of laboured. So, and that's why it lent itself so well to the music. It was quite easy to, to work on their lyrics. Do you, were, yeah, were either so, they or you inspired by any particular um, comedy acts or musical acts that that were sort of known at the time? Because it, I mean, it clearly not inspired by Clark and Dorr or or sort of anything like that. But were there musical acts, comedy acts? No, you know? no one in particular. Well, yeah, but all of them, I suppose, to an extent, it, all sat satirical music comedy. I mean, you could go back to uh, Tom Lehrer and even you could even go back to um, Gilbert and Sullivan, that style of... So, so the brief was Tom Lehrer but rubbish, was it? 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah kind of. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And what, what about the outfit, Elliot's outfit? Was that, did you have much involvement with that? Oh, that was, that was um, Kitty, Kitty who did the uh, costumes. Oh, yes, and yeah, yeah. It, Kitty, Kitty Stucky. Um, that's who, right. Like she, she later became very well known for all of the ridiculous garb that she put Kath and Kim in. Yeah. So, well, was, um, yeah, really, really, really got a good start on Frontline. <laughs> she was great because she, she basically had, obviously was a great op shopper. <laughs> she had like rows and rows of op shop gear oh, wow. and all sorts of bits and pieces and everything. Yeah. So Elliot, no problem. I, I, what a variety of stuff. And that was the other thing. I never knew what I was going to be dressed in on the day. I'd turn up to the studio, go and do makeup and costume. And I never knew what they were going to dress me in. So that was another thrill. Uh, partly because I've done a bit of theatre and in theatre, so much of theatre is about um, the hard sort of serious acting, not about your costumes and not about the makeup, you know. Um, mm. y- you know, but this show was all about the makeup and the costume. It was, so, it was like a kid's idea of what it was like working in theatre. Well, speaking of theatre, uh, you do have a uh, quite a bit of a musical and theatre background. So what what brought you yeah. into that part of uh, the arts and entertainment? Purely speaking of music theatre, I was very interested in it from, as a kid and I really wanted, I was really inspired by, I was brought up in a very Christian household and the breadth of uh, the music that was sort of uh, allowed to be listened to was things like Godspell and even Jesus Christ Superstar, which was surprising because it's quite, um, you know, well, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a quite a, it's not anti-religious. It's irreverent, it's, isn't it, compared to... I guess it's Yeah, it, it was quite irreverent. shocking at the time That's to some word, Christians, wasn't it, in the 60s? Yeah. It was quite shocking, yeah. A bit like Life of Brian, I suppose, was too later on. But, yeah, but I always wanted to write a musical and I was really taken by Stephen Schwartz and, um, you know, Tim Rice and Andrew Lloyd Webber and so on. So I, I loved all I always wanted to do that. And I did actually do it. I wrote it with a friend of mine, wonderful percussionist and composer. Uh, we wrote a, mu- a musical, which was a rewrite of the complete rewrite of the magic bu- of the Madame Butterfly story. And it was um, quite successful. We toured, we did, we toured and um, had a couple of. Uh, incarnations in the late 80s and early 90s so yeah so that that's where I came from but prior to that I'd done a lot of um this sort of clowning around on the piano and there was a club in Sydney in Glebe Point Road called the Toucan Club which you might have heard of or not it was just near, near Bad Manners, which is, I think Bad Manners is a coffee shop in Glebe Point Road. Yeah, still. a vegetarian place. Yeah, that's yeah. near the Broadway shopping centre, well, right. which I closed for a time and reopened yeah. again recently. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Yeah. Well, I worked there as a waiter and they used to have a piano. And I even it, 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 when business was slow, I used to get on the piano and do stuff, just clowning around really, <laughs> just... Just I'm just a show off, <laughs> looking for somewhere to 
to show off. That's basically it. <laughs> I read um, that you had performed at the proms at, at, in in the Albert Hall, which is so obviously um, having a reputation yes. for singing bad satirical songs hasn't affected your musical career, which I'm very pleased to see. No, um, yeah, that was a um, an act I worked with, which was a, a tribute to the music of Enya Morricone. And we did a show which incorporated all the foley, you know, all the sound effects foley, and um, we created a huge visual backdrop using shadow, the shadows, a moving um, light, the front of the stage, amazing lighting we had, and which the projections were sort of of the band were on the, the big psychorama at the back of the stage. So, um, and that we did that, oh, that toured for about five years in Europe and did shows in America and quite a lot in the UK. Yeah, it was that was great fun. That was that was probably the show that used my skills the best because I didn't have any lyrics because I'm terrible at remembering lyrics. That was a challenging front line too. because <laughs> um, mm. all the all the backing voters were all R's and O's and you know, if you listen to that Enya Morricone stuff from the Spaghetti Western era um yeah there's very few lyrics and uh and, and also because it was quite theatrical and beautiful beautiful inspiring music you know to be able to work with that music night after night was just wonderful so yeah that's another thing <laughs> no it didn't hold me back i think maybe doing silly satirical songs let's say it was a side let's say it was a side hustle <laughs> <laughs> outside of uh, performing at the keyboard um we didn't see much of you on Frontline, but um, there, uh, one part of your story arc, let's call it, uh, where I think you, you, you get a, a bit more of a meaty role is in the penultimate episode of Frontline, uh, The mm. Code, where it seems like you're finally actually sacked. Yes. And then, and then, and then turn up, um, like, I, I, I hate to kind of spoil this because we're a long way off from going through that episode, but um, uh, yes. I, I, don't, I don't know when we, we're going to have the opportunity to speak to you again. Um, but that, yeah. that, that this is your life uh, ending with the doors opening yeah. and you absolutely seething. Oh, yeah. I think the great thing was that for all those episodes, because Elliot, the wonderful thing about Elliot is, right, he thinks everybody loves him and he thinks he's really funny. And there's nothing, is nothing that can dampen his enthusiasm and belief and self-belief. So although, although Mike Moore is patently and obviously trying to get rid of him, he doesn't, he just doesn't get it. You know, series after series and episode after episode. And finally, Mike Moore chucks that speech at him and he... He just, you know, finally the penny drops. And yeah. he goes, this guy, after all this time, it's, a, it's, a, it's just the most terrible, yeah, it's just the most terrible thing that happens to Elliot. Mm. Yeah, he feels yeah, distressed. It makes, it makes for a hell of a finale, though. Yeah, it does. It's, it's, it's great. But, of course, Elliot rides again, so, you know, all's well, <laughs> it ends well. <laughs> yeah. What do you think Elliot's mm. doing now? Because he's clearly unkillable like a Terminator. So what's he up to? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, look, he would be like a Terminator. Yeah, he'd be somewhere. He'd be doing the same 
I don't know what he'd wear or where would you where would you be? Maybe he'd be doing little cabaret shows, his own cabaret stuff. I like to think he'd turn up on Sky News Australia, you know, at at the end of maybe not Andrew Bolt's show, (laughs) but but a sort of lesser Bolt might have him on once a week to to do a satire on woke culture or something. Yeah. You know. (laughs) Yeah, or, or, or... or on the radio, you know. The, yeah. The ABC used to have Friday night people doing their satirical yeah. songs. Yeah, maybe Elliot would be there t- too. Elliot could mm. be doing his uh, one-off little jingles on TikTok and become a viral sensation. Oh, that's mm-hmm. true. And and during the lockdown, of course, he would have been putting stuff out every day yeah. <laughs> to keep to keep the morale of the general population up. <laughs> yeah, it would have been. I, I can I can see Elliot maybe doing duets with Sammy J. I think it's just it's the the electronic keyboard that just sort of puts those two in uh, in similarity in my mind. Yes, I think it'd be, be the generational. Yeah, it's a kind of a generational thing, isn't it? It's like you get the the experienced Elliot, the mentor and the protege, the mentor and the and then the you know the up and coming Sammy J with. <laughs> <laughs> In regards to uh, filming, just for, like, a lot of us already know where it was filmed, but the studios where the frontline um, was actually shot, the offices, can you tell us a, a bit about the office or the locations of how they filmed it? It was shot at Ripon Lee, the first series, I'm trying to remember, because they changed uh, location for each series, I think. But I'm pretty sure series one was shot at Ripon Lee. In the old the old ABC studios in 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 um, Melbourne near what what's that suburb? It's down past St Kilda, um, Ripponlea. Anyway, um, yeah, and they had the offices all set up there. And um, okay, so you had two things: you had the the office and all the stuff that was hand shot, hand held, which Santo did a lot of the shooting. And then they had the Elliot stuff was shot actually in the ABC studios where they still were at that time shooting the news and the current affairs was shot in that studio with a real legit TV camera. That's why the Elliot stuff is so like, it's really super technicolor, you know, when it comes across against the other stuff, it's just really highly produced and the colors are really bright and um, it's amazing. And, uh, that's why, because the rest of it, all, all that footage was shot on, on um, I believe, was shot on video, then transferred to Super 8, you know, film, I think may have been, or yeah. maybe 16 mil, and then re, re-put on, back onto um, video for the edit, final edit. So yeah, it's, gone it's, it's, it's been something we've been struggling with re-watching the episodes, it's sort of... In in these days of the really big four K screens, it's just uh, like I can I can understand why it was done artistically, but it's not good on the eyes anymore. Going from film to video to film. Yeah, yeah. Look, I didn't have much to do, obviously, with the technical side of it, but that that I'm pretty sure that's accurate of the way they went about it. Mm. Um, the other thing is, they had a well, they reputedly had a two day shooting schedule for to to shoot the each episode which is really 
that's really thrashing it, you know. Plus, any of the other locational stuff obviously was done separate to that, but the majority of it was shot in two days. Wow. So, so when I turned up, most of those clips were done in two or three takes. Would have been I would have been in there for less than ten minutes. Wow. I, I, I was trying to ask, does that mean you were a one take wonder? It was, would be good. It would have been. It was good if I was. Let's say I had a root battle with the second one in episode one. Was this song called Johannesburg Tango, and um, I'd had to fly. I had a show opening in 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 Brisbane the night before, and I probably had a couple of um, sherbets there, <laughs> and uh, I got had to come down on a really early, early flight for that. And the day before, they'd asked me to change. When we'd had our little production meeting, they changed. But I'd done it a particular way, and they wanted me to, to really emphasise the tango aspect. So I redid it, but I hadn't really had much time to practise it because I'd been, obviously, away and didn't have a keyboard with me and a whole lot of things. So, uh, yeah, that was, um, was my second go, and... Uh, <laughs> That was, that was a super challenge and I just had to steel myself to do that final take. I just said it's now or never because I was, you know, I was tired. I, was, I didn't really know the song that well and I just had to really do it, yeah. But, um, but most of the others were pretty straight ahead and I, had, I did have ample time to rehearse them. Do you um, still get approached by people who've been watching the show or do you still get recognised at all um, and people come and go, ah, Elliot. Yeah, surprisingly, because I do piano gigs still, they do. And But secondly, and this is really surprising, people just recognise me without, when I'm not doing a gig, I'm just a normal dude mm-hmm. walking down the street or maybe at an airport or whatever. And I can see them, they just sort of start looking at me. <laughs> they go... Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, he's done it again. Yeah, he's done it again. And yeah, so um, yeah, that's intriguing. I, I still, still amazing. I think also because it is current, it's still being played on, um, you know, on down, being watched to this very day on Netflix. I think it is. Have you been recognised when you've been overseas? Uh, no, not overseas. There was one funny day. I was coming back from. I'd been in Sydney. And I was getting the plane back from Sydney and I was in the airport and they were running. This was when Frontline was still going live to air. I mean, live to air, you know, it was going straight to air, you know what I mean, um, for the first time. And um, and they were showing it on the big TV at the airport while I was watching myself perform. <laughs> and, and no one else was taking any notice. It was mm. just a very strange moment. <laughs> that was the point to yell, this is me, look, over there. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. Hey, I've dropped out of the TV. Me? This is me. <laughs> oh, the tragedy. <laughs> <laughs> Can I fast forward to the, the, uh, the episode we're reviewing today where they have this star-studded cocktail party for Mike and, and oh, you're yes. there because you kind of are mm-hmm. in, yeah. Find out you found out something was being catered, and all of a sudden, uh, Mike feels obliged to invite you. And but you're not doing anything on Friday. But, oh, but you must be busy, and, and you're like, no, 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 I'm fine. I can make it. <laughs> so, it looked like you were having a good time there. And, and and did you expect to see all those stars? Um, what was great was 
while we were waiting to shoot, we sat around the table and everyone was there, you know, Molly and um, I don't remember. There, was, there were a lot of stars. George Negus we is there, there. Glenn Robbins. Casually. Yeah. yeah, that's right. You, you remember them all. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was really lovely just having a very casual time with all these people, what nice people they were, just lovely to hang out with. And I think Elliot in that episode was kind of, he was sort of a bit the lonely guy at the party because he was, you know, looking at the looking at the CD collection and um, <laughs> it's a little bit on the outer. Well, see, the, the, the other thing is that in the episode, Elliot asked whether he should bring his piano and is very quickly refused. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it, it was so quick. He barely even finished the word piano. No, no, no. 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 <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. True, true that. Do you think um, that if Frontline did come back uh, for to, to to cover today's uh, style of current affairs or anything like that, do you think mm. there'll be an Elliot Rhodes 2.0 for this or um, do you think the character would have moved on from there? Um, well, I'd be up for it, but uh, if that's what you mean. Yeah. But um, sure, they'd, they'd, probably re, yeah, they'd probably recast and find... Um, a new generation or new generation of Elliot, who would it be? I can't think. I mean, the, I mean, the thing, I, I think in the context of the broader context of your question is when being a satire, when it went to air, I think all the current affairs shows just threw their hands up and said, okay, well, we've been exposed. Because did you, re, did you notice how current affairs just became more blatant? And horrible yeah. post frontline. Yeah. It was like we've been exposed, so now now all bets are off, and we can do whatever we like. Well, I was going to say in regards to something that's happened recently with the like um, Kathleen uh, Folbig story, right? Uh, and I was watching yeah. a current affair the other night, and they did a live cross to a reporter who was in a yeah. bit of farmland to make it look like that that's where Kathleen was staying with her friend, which is on a bit of remote farmland, which echoed <laughs> uh, an episode yeah. of Frontline, which uh, Marty D'Astasio is crutching down in front of a farm gate that's for the right. speech thing. And I went, oh, my goodness, you know, 30 years later, it still <laughs> echoes the same <laughs> pretty much. It's like I'm nothing's not changed. Sure. So I just thought that so no. like, Frontline called it out. I, oh, um, yeah. and Well, I think you're right. Come to think of it. I think there are new techniques they're using and perhaps it is, yeah, Frontline Series 4, I can see it. I can see it now. And things like one of the networks always has the caption live, right? They have a journalist standing some location somewhere and, you know, I don't know. It's just live. But it has no relevance to the story often or it, or it has a slight relevance to the story, the location. But there's nothing else about it that relates to the story, but except the caption says, the slash says live, <laughs> live to air, yeah. you know. I mean. There's just always <laughs> somebody perpetually on standby. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yes, it adds nothing to the story, also, really. The, the, I, I call them the no. pointless live cross. You know, they cross to the person live yeah. because they can. It doesn't enhance the story at yeah. all. No, that's right. The pointless live cross. That's perfect. Yeah. You're aware that Frontline is in high school curriculums. Oh yes. Well, this gets back to was I ever recognised during when the during the time when uh, it was part of the curriculum, um, just after series one, 
I think it was. And I I used to get recognised by groups of school kids in the supermarket. And I could see them, they'd be going, is that him? Is that that really him? It's got to be him. You go over and, you know, go over and say hello. And, uh, yeah, that was pretty funny. There you go. Um, (laughs) They didn't ask you for any help with their essays (laughs) or their homework. No, but but I think it it was so great for our media studies. It was a gift to the to the education system, to the teachers, absolute gift. Yeah, I think most of us missed, well, I was in year 12 when it came out, so I didn't have time to, for it to be in the curriculum, but certainly when I got into journalism at, at university, it was like, this. Is, if you want to study what current affairs is like, this is, <laughs> it's telling it like it is, as you say. Yeah. Yeah, I was in year yeah. 12 um, when the first series went out, and we would certainly talk about it at school, either mm. amongst ourselves or with the teachers sometimes, um, just, just as, yeah. you know, but yeah, never got to study it. And, yeah, yeah. And yeah, I was probably slightly too young for Frontline. I think I think it was probably first the the script book, which uh, thankfully we don't have to uh, refer to uh, this episode. <laughs> no, I don't. There we go. <laughs> oh, jeez. I don't, oh, I don't have this. I, I I feel left out. I don't have this. <laughs> okay. Everyone, get out your get, books. Get down to the secondhand shop, Kim. Oh, I, have to, I, do, I go there I do, all the time. I do, I'm I do, getting I, my CDs. The episode we're about to discuss is not in the book. Yes. <laughs> I do still have it with me. But like, it was, it was a, a fascinating read. And I think also, like after a while, I also got into Media Watch as well. I think yes. I, I, I sort of think like those two pillars, Media Watch and Frontline, really did a lot for media literacy. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's for sure. Does this, the script book have a kind of characterization of, of Elliot in there like it does with I some of the it, other characters? I think it does. Let's, let's see if I can find it. Where is it? Is it the front or the back? Near the front. Near the front. I think. Uh, Don't mind us. There's a character <laughs> profile. <laughs> you can yeah, edit this fine. Down. I'm just loving this, this studious energy right now. Yeah. Well, it, we, yeah, we 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 uh, we spent too much time on this. Over analyze, so, rip it apart, and uh, yeah, we are just that passionate. Oh, it's only oh, just got other characters. Yeah, Elliot Rhodes, Friday Night don't Funny get Man. The complete history of Elliot Rhodes, because in this book it tells you the background to some of the main characters and and what they'd previously done. Oh. I would love to know what how Elliot got the mm. gig at Frontline, what he'd done beforehand as a sort of junior satirist. Um, yes. Been the, the, the only the only sort of clue is a mention of Wally the Worker. Was it Wally the Worker? Yeah, oh, they Wally previously the... had Wally the Worker as the Friday Night Funny Man. Yes, yeah. that's right. That was a different person. Sorry, I'm think I'm, th- I'm, yeah. I'm thinking that that Elliot played Wally. No, <laughs> but it's again, it's sort of emulating a bit of real life. This is all before my time, so. Well, you know. here's a question then, Boris. Uh, how would you picture? Elliot's background, his origin story. Yeah, good, good question. I, I reckon he would have been in amateur music theatre. In fact, I, th- I think that's I think that's true. I think he would have been in music theatre, and he would have uh, probably uh, developed friend musical friendships there. Maybe he worked with a, you know, no, no, four part a cappella group, <laughs> doing sort of cool. Um, I don't know, maybe cool sort of topical, maybe even satirical songs. Oh, 70s um, commercial jingles? Or covering, or jingles, or, or covering stuff of other 
satirists and other political commentators. Maybe something, dare I say, undergraduate. Yeah, look, you dare, you may dare say that. Definitely undergraduate. Yeah, something something like I think so. And and then he would have had, you know, piano training. So he would have done a lot, quite a lot of that in his life. Mm. And yeah, so maybe you, yeah, he'd been to uni. They made all these connections at uni. Maybe he was, yeah, the amateur theatrical society. And... Focusing on you um, now, you were absolutely. A privilege for you to be on the show uh, because only 24 hours beforehand um, you're still active uh, performing and you're currently mm. on tour at the, at the time of this recording um, so yeah uh, what what uh, can you explain what you're up to uh, being active in the current in today's practice I guess oh right yeah um, well I play piano professionally and I do I work with different performers and different bands. I also have a group of community choirs that I accompany, like play the piano for, um, and they're a really interesting bunch of people. They're, all the choirs have their own character, and the moment I'm working with five, um, that one of them will finish in, a, in another couple of weeks. We do our final concert. But, yeah, it's a wonderful uh, connection to... Um, just really people who love singing and people who want to, you know, do music in a communi- communal sort of community setting. Yeah, so I get a lot out of that. And um, the gigs, of course, well, the choirs are during the day mostly, so that doesn't interfere with my, my gigs that I obviously rehearsals and stuff at night. So little side project sometimes. I've just recorded a, a bit of stuff with my son who's 32 32 years old now. Yeah, we just did a little few YouTube clips which are gradually going to air. Oh, what's um, your YouTube channel? Here's the YouTube channel is um, Red on White, it's called. And he's he records his own music, um, which is rock, rock music. But this little project was, he's grabbed um, Dean Martin songs and recorded them in his own way. It just, it taken away all the music production and just did them with piano and voice. Wow. And uh, it's really cute because it show, it just shows you the strength of the, that, those songs, how fantastic they were. And Because we, we tend to associate that style of music with, with that crooning style of delivery, which is very 50s and very old-fashioned. But actually the songs had great melodies and great lyrics getting back to frontline, I suppose. So when you just hear it sung in a very honest way with, with, that, with no um, bells and whistles, it's, it's really interesting. So, yeah, we, so we recorded them under a bridge, a freeway bridge in Melbourne where there's a whole lot of free-forming graffiti. That was our backdrop. And, uh, yeah, it's quite, I'm quite proud of it. <laughs> so you should be. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sounds great. Definitely looking that up. So you'll you'll let us know the channel and uh, we'll promote it on on our various oh, social media. Yeah. yeah, send it through and we'll do that. So uh... oh, lovely. Thank you. Your son would have been a, a toddler when you were on Frontline. Did yeah. he find yeah. it? Was he starstruck to see you and on TV and you're <laughs> there at home as well? Yeah, I suppose so. I think kids just accept whatever is thrown at them, don't they? <laughs> mm. 
Like, oh yeah, dad's on television. So what? <laughs> kind of thing. I mean, there was there was a great joke. Uh, you know the two Ronnies. Ronnie yeah. um, Ronnie Corbett used to do this spot where he sat in the chair and did did sort of a commentary of of a comic commentary of what was going on in everyday affairs and um, he's. He started it with, um, oh, I was a bit late to work today because there was a big fight over whether the kids could stay up and watch Daddy on television. They wanted to go to bed. (laughs) (laughs) Are you still friends with the Working Dog team? Um, I don't see them, but every now and then I bump into one or other of them and it's always great to see them. Yeah. Just before we go, Boris, uh, is there anything else that you would like to say um, on the podcast? Yeah, just uh, I'd love to give a little shout out to Bruno Lawrence, who's uh, dearly departed mm. in heaven, in heaven now. I'm sure he's in music heaven somewhere. Um, I met the first day of shooting for the for my spot on in the first episode. Bruno was in the in the waiting room where we were just waiting before we went to make up. And I met him for the very first time. I never didn't know who he was, had no idea um, that he was playing one of the major roles. Um, he was such a humble guy and he just said, um, we talked about playing golf and, and music, I think. Had this little conversation and I thought, oh, I'll never see that guy again. Um, <laughs> and then, of course, the first episode came to air and he was, he was playing such a, a, a great role. I mean, and so well, so beautiful, so earthy his... his um, He's acting. Anyway, um, I we did sort of bump into each other a bit during the that series, and um, at the final rap party, he I didn't even know he was ill or that there were any health issues going on. He always presented really fantastically. Mm. He always looked super well. Anyway, the last um, thing we had a conversation, and as I was leaving, he gave me a great big kiss on the lips, yeah. <laughs> which is. <laughs> Very memorable, and that's a very <laughs> memorable thing about yeah. Bruno. So there right. you go. There's a little side yeah. story. <laughs> what a great program director there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Thanks for coming on and uh, spending your time with us. My pleasure. And the only regret I have about this interview was that I'm not at home tonight ah. in my house in Melbourne. And in the back of my cupboard, I've actually got a Frontline T-shirt, oh. which I got from the first series. <laughs> and I was going to wear it for this and then step back to the big reveal, you know, <laughs> for you. But unfortunately, that I, I, was, I forgot to bring it with me. So mm. anyway. You don't have your keyboard with you. <laughs> yeah, I've got, you can play as My keyboard's at the gig, so I can't even do, oh. do a song for you right now. Well, Boris, I just want to say... Thank you so much for taking the time. And, uh, yeah, um, especially when you're touring. <laughs> and um, Yeah, just yeah, making the time uh, and effort um, to chat with just a bunch of comedy nerds like us, really, uh, all about um, online and your work. So thank you, Boris, for joining the podcast. Thanks a lot. Great to meet you. Thank you for listening to the Champagne Comedy Podcast, created by fans for the fans. For more information on this podcast, please visit champagnecomedy.com. Produced by Matt Fulton Productions, mattfulton.com.au.